0: Ah! Locked out. This was our lockdown drink that we now chug throughout summer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wee! <laughs> Merry Christmas. Cheers, Merry everybody. Christmas.
0: Cheers. cheers, cheers. Kia ora, everybody, and welcome to 76 Small Rooms, a podcast about architecture from Aotearoa, New Zealand, our final episode of 2022, episode 43. Like like most of us, we're closing in on 50 fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of us have passed it. I'm Jeremy. I'm here with Arch, Matt and Tash. We've got a whole team. We've the got the whole team in yeah. a long time. And we're a bit nervous because we don't have a guest, because usually we have a guest, but some listeners have encouraged us to blather on amongst ourselves, that that will be okay. If you don't find it okay, you yeah. can always turn off.
1: This is the moment to hit fast forward, <laughs> if you if you prefer our broader content.
0: But today we are going to look back on the year a little bit, and we're going to talk about our favourite buildings of the year, and we're also going to talk about our burning issues of the year. And of course the burning issues of the year cast forward into 2023 and all the things that are pretty live then but also it's just nice to have a pure chat about architecture so who wants to talk first about what their favorite buildings of 2022 were Ah, we
1: we had a um, we had a 76 small rooms work christmas function Yesterday. We did. Didn't We're not we not wrong. <laughs> yeah. tomorrow? We, we road tested a few of these. We're seeing so much of each other. Yeah. yeah. And it's insufferable. <laughs> <laughs> Two days in a row is, is about as much as I can handle. Given that I see Matt five days in a row most weeks, uh, I am, my patience is being tested. Um, but we all kind of like yesterday, one of the first buildings that leapt into our minds as the building of the year was Homeground. Mm. And then we were kind of like, ah, oh, but it's sort of, it's always, it's everyone's favourite. It's kind of the obvious one.
0: And just to be clear, Home Ground is the city mission building in Auckland, designed by Stevens Lawson Architects. And featured in just one episode. Oh, it just came runner up in the civic and community category at the World Architecture Festival. At the Festival World Architecture Festival. Festival. And Congratulations.
1: And yeah, Cara rightly and so. Um, but there's a reason it was kind of so popular and on all of our minds. And obviously, it's a favourite of ours already in that we, we spoke to Gary and Nick back in episode. Or something like that, mm. um, and I guess too, like you think of the sort of looking forward thing you said, Jeremy. Um, they explained how it was such a, it was like a fifteen-year saga, and it's so much more than architecture. And I think you said something yesterday that I, um, that I really liked. <clears throat> Thanks, <so> Matt. <laughs> they, they <laughs> brought so much care and so much um, commitment to design quality that the project was caught up in a slipstream of all of those other things about it that enabled it to be uh, popular. Popularity and prominence was a really important part of its success, the way that it was fundraised. It was really important it was known about. It was really important that it was, um, you know, that it imbued all of the qualities that it ended up doing, dignity, beauty. Um, and that kind of propelled it along in a way that a, a less strong design might not have.
0: Yeah, and I was thinking about how architecture was foundational to that project it was not a nice to have it was interwoven to all the other goals social and otherwise that that project has which I think it doesn't just make it a compelling narrative because it is a very compelling narrative but I think the architecture is excellent in the degree of care that you mentioned because I was also thinking about how you know 15 years from beginning to end of that project from winning a competition to it being realized um, Multiple governments of different stripes, or two governments of different stripes, contributing money to it. Um, Many public donors contributing money. The architecture was key to the momentum that it maintained over that. And this is not to discount the efforts of the people who were driving the project. Mm. But I don't think um, a lesser building would have inspired the same kind of political and public support um, as this one did. But also, now that it's complete, I love what it shows about. Um, architecture being available to everybody, and about the um, the fact that the residents of that building, the architecture is for them primarily. Mm, mm. Um, and I wish that happened in more projects. Yeah. There's a um, there's a project going up not far from my place at the moment, which I've written about in the past, and it's the Gray's Avenue apartments that Kainga Order are doing, and I applaud the social aims of that project, and programmatically it seems really sound, but the building is getting close to completion now and there is nothing uplifting about it, to be blunt. And I appreciate that it's providing warm, dry homes for people Mm -hmm. and that's essential, Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't want it not to be there, but I just think that it would be a sign of huge respect to the residents and also just to our urban environment generally if... um, the architecture was given consideration because of the signs it sends through all those levels.
2: I think you're absolutely right. I mean, one of the things that I really love about the Homeground Project is that, to me, it signals this sort of sign of maturing of our city um, and perhaps our society as a whole, that we're prepared to invest in this building for people who don't have a home at the moment and to support them on a on a different path from the one that they're currently on, and I think that that as a as a kind of a an an act um, as a um, kind of an acknowledgement um, of people is is uh, is quite a profound thing that perhaps previously we haven't been in a space to do. So I think it's a it's a remarkable building, and again, the architecture, the quality of the architecture, speaks. To that, and it's an incredibly generous building in terms of the way that it operates within the city. It acknowledges both street fronts. Um, it is is sort of an invitation to walk through and, and come through it. And actually, I was just walking past it the other day through uh, past the uh, Federal Street um, elevation. It's um, it really um, adds to that uh, street in a in a lovely way.
1: I also like that it boiled the blood of all the people who thought that you know the, the users should be grateful to have a cardboard box. Yeah, you know, there's that predictable and disappointing mm-hmm. kind of reaction mm-hmm. to the, the to quality to all of these things that like we hold we hold really dear and Gary and Nick did such a great job in maintaining through the whole process.
3: It succeeds on lots of fronts too. We've talked about lots of them already, but it's also a 12-story CLT building in the city centre. You know, mm. um, yeah, true. Um, it's it, it's innovative. It's um, it connects Central Street to Hobson in a block that otherwise wouldn't be connected, so it's a, that public connection. It, the, it Almost everywhere that you touch it, it does well. You know, mm. It's yeah, a tour de force, really, in lots and lots of ways. But wow. we're not allowed to talk about that because that was one that we all thought was... Like, so I'll let's highlight.
1: talk about Gusto Rob by Bolo Sullivan.
0: We'll
1: put pictures <laughs> of this up on our socials. This is...
3: One
0: that is, I can't say divide at the 76 more Rooms team because it's only divided Matt.
2: Divided um, <laughs> Matt divide from us. Three, three to one division.
0: <laughs> so do you want to talk about this one, Arch?
1: Yeah, I just... Um, Describe so what, what it I looks like here? so people yeah. can tune in. Um, you'll find it really easily if you Google Gusto Rob, uh, G-U-S-T-O-R-O-B, um, which I thought was some sort of weird, um, you know, weird newly coined name, but it means Gus. To rob those two family um, members. Right. It's not different suburbs. Um, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> look, just keep it civil. We're looking forward. We're looking forward to your critique. Man.
1: And um, as someone who's designed a house for my own parents, that I overheard people walking past it describing it as a wall shed, um, <laughs> I can only say that it has a um, an agricultural aesthetic. And one of the photos that Mike has got on the, on the website. Um, there's literally a couple of cows standing in front of it. So it's this, how would I describe it? <clears throat> it's sort of an ellipse in section, and it's just a long extruded ellipse, and it has this little, um, uh, almost like a viewing slit along the prow of it, where a lot of the windows are, and then it curves back down into the, into the ground, and that, that that curving section is carried right through the interiors with beautiful timber lining. Um, so Let's just I, say timber lining. And I think too, like the other one, you know, like I'm a real fan of of Bullo Sullivan and I'm particularly a fan of, I admire versatility, the houses that we see and you'll know many of them, you know, you can call them whatever you like aesthetically, but they are all really different from one another. Mm. And I think that's an incredible skill as a designer. I mean, we all know what it's like to, you know, we draw on things and they come out in our voice. And I think something about these kind of, particularly the houses, but all of the buildings, they all they all sing at a different pitch. And I think that's a remarkable kind of. I think it's a remarkable thing. Um, so yeah, I really love it. I think it's it's kind of got so many of those characteristics that I like. It's brave. It's unusual. It's singular. Um, it's got a beautiful story about the family, the quote that inspired it, um, and and bringing together all of. Um, bringing together all of these generations in this setting is definitely a standout for me. I really enjoy it. I'm enjoying looking at it now, and I'm enjoying looking at me <laughs> while I look at it. Counterpoint.
3: Yeah, I have I've, I really enjoyed Boris Oliver's work. I'm, I, I don't want to be... Um, a dick about it? Yeah. <laughs> but go on, Matt. I, I don't know. I'm being petty. But the... I've, from a land use perspective, as big, long building, I'm sure that has that provides lots of qualities for the space inside. But it's a big building. You yeah. know, it's it. Uh, I mean, this image on the um, yep. bottom left there is. I mean, it's a it, it's a big thing, um, and I don't know whether that's if that sits well with me. Um, well, and- I mean,
1: I know you say that as a multi-published columnist. This year um, <laughs> on density and housing, so I know you speak from you know authority, yeah. And I can't I can't disagree with
3: that. Yeah, and I, the I personally, as a from a personal perspective, not that my last comment wasn't from a personal perspective either, but I think that that I don't know if I could live with that much timber. It's a big long tube of space, and if you can do a big long tube of space, it's done very well. But it's a, it's a long way from Gus to Rob. <laughs> That's
0: an interesting point, Matt, And that I do, um, as you said, that I thought oh, it would be quite interesting to live in a building like that where the spatial experience looks pretty consistent from room to room, the same curve, the same yeah, timber. Interesting. interesting. Um, do, do you mean that it might start to feel a bit monolithic in terms of the spatial experience and it should be more varied?
3: Yeah, um, yeah, um, homogenous, I guess. I, I, don't know. I mean. not Look, I shouldn't judge it without, and you might tell I'm being a bit careful. But uh, um, I shouldn't <laughs> judge it without going to it. But yeah, you can. I don't know. Is there spatial variety? I don't, I don't know. Is that important? Perhaps it's not. I'm asking. Yeah.
1: Um. One. One thing about H. E. Um. It was one of, the be- one of the best pieces of architectural writing I read this year was Peter Wood's review of this house and, um, very good in Architecture Now, yeah. which we can we can post up. My sister put me onto this piece and she was like, now this is architectural writing, and, and it totally is. What about you, Tash? Also, just one of the other great buildings we saw this year was Tash's house, mm-hmm. which was a fantastic piece and a hit amongst the garden and landscaping <laughs> community. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: think that was the garden. <laughs> um, back to Gus to Rob, Rob to Gus. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of just drawn to it. Mm. You know, there's something about the sort of the images of it in the landscape that almost look like, I don't know, a, a kind of, a Pac-Man about to kind of munch the cows or something like that. It's just, it, yeah, that that one there exactly. Um, but also then you know you sort of look at the um, at the kind of medium to long distance views of the house, and it sort of stands up to its landscape, doesn't it? I think when you're doing architecture in um, in landscape, that the moves need to be simpler. Less fussy to be able to kind of fit within that context, which is larger hillsides and mountains and and wide sweeping um, paddocks. So uh, yeah,
1: the image we're looking at is captioned like a reverse mullet. Gusto Rob is all business at the back with the party out the front.
0: <laughs> and I guess it's interesting also when you're talking about it's a non hierarchical building. Yeah, yep, when you've got an extended family, even in um, you know regular homes that aren't catering for extended families, there's often this strange hierarchy, you know main bedroom versus smaller ones yeah. and also who gets the best spot in the house. And this kind of is quite an egalitarian yep. way to deal with that situation, I think. Have we done enough on Gusto, Rob? Matt, do you have anything
3: else No, to I say? have nothing further to say. <laughs> what <laughs> about your standout yeah. building? Um, my standout architectural experience this year was, I say someone who didn't know this place very well, was going to Christchurch and spending some time in the city centre there and seeing... The emerging fabric of that place, and that was quite good. Um, as Did say, you know, Christchurch well, no, before not, the a, not at all. So, and I'm sure it feels very different to people who know it from before the earthquake, and you kind of have to blink of your view because there's lots of bits that are not um, always real- amazing how quickly
1: you forget mm. what a context was when it gets rebuilt. Mm. You think you'll remember, but. Yeah, I find I always forget.
3: So I went there with relatively fresh eyes. I'm kind of looking at that city, the, the city centre uh, fabric, and the river, and the amenity that's emerging there. And I kind of go, you, know, "You could do a lot worse than um, than what we're doing here." um, um apartment building in the uh, southeastern uh, corner of the east frame um, was probably one of the highlights there that, mm-hmm. again, yeah, a, a particular residential means but the city centre, you know, the scale of it, where you can occupy it, the quality of the buildings that we've done, um, it feels like it's uh, off on the right foot.
1: The way you connect with the river <coughs> yep. is stronger now.
3: Yep. Better. yep. Um, so, no, that, in terms of, I, I know we're kind of, um, perhaps the premises, you know, new buildings completed this year, but And for me, that was my architectural highlight, I think.
2: I like that you talked about it as an experience too, rather than an object, the building, because I think that's, to me, what architecture is about, the experience of it. Mm.
3: Mm. Yeah, it's good. Enjoyed it. What was your highlight? Oh, I was dreading you
2: asking me this because I was racking my brain and I – I I can't think of a, a single building apart from the ones that perhaps we've discussed right now. and It might be just that I'm brain dead at this point of view. But so I will <laughs> I will turn it to um, on a diff- slightly different start and say that I think it has been um, an incredible incredible year for women in architecture and that's probably my highlight i mean we started with um uh lisa webb and her um you know Stella win with the um uh, national awards that's um, a great
1: that's a great house too right?
2: and it is a fantastic house i've had the kind of the privilege to go inside and it is um, it is just beautiful. It's so well crafted, and it's such a um, a personal project. Um, I, I think it's um, it's a it's a it's a really um, strong uh, addition to kind of our our catalogue of residential housing. And and Lisa's a deserved winner for for that reason. We then had you know the first. Um, gold medalist um, yep. uh, win by a woman with Julie Stouts um, uh, who you can listen to on yes, episode
1: 37
2: certainly can <laughs> <laughs> and then of course um, Making Space the, the, the book that um, is and our history, last episode exactly in the history of women in architecture in New Zealand, thank you for the art, but also um, contributed um, uh, many women from um, the architectural professional, the wider architectural community contributed to that book as well so it's a celebration of that Mm. and then of course rounding out the year Architecture and women's, you know, taking away of the, the very first John Sutherland mm. Award. So that's been a good year yeah. for women. And, yeah, and nice. I'm hopeful that that's actually um, something that will move forward into 2023, and not just for women in architecture, but, you know, really, I guess, talking to that wider question of diversity within the profession. Mm.
0: I feel like I'm now going, let me talk about a house again because that oh, was much yeah, more yeah.
2: animated.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, that was more societal. But um, I was thinking about houses, and it takes a lot for me to get excited about a standalone house these days. Um, but Waimata Dudu by PAC Studio and Christina Pickford, it. which won a housing award from the New Zealand Institute of Architects recently, and it also won an award from Here magazine. And it's just... It's quite a classic in its design, but it's got this beautiful scale and materiality. It's on Autama Beach in the Coromandel Peninsula, which is a rare New Zealand beach that kind of faces due north. Um, It's clearly modernist in its origins, but um, in a way that doesn't feel slavish ever. It works for the site, and it offers this beautiful variety of experiences and connections to the landscape. Um, This amazing balance of shelter and outlook. I say this all just from looking at the pictures obsessively, not having been there, and the interiors have this lovely rhythmic quality to them mm. with the way the structure works with the interiors and the house steps down the slope and there's this really lovely um black and steel surround for the ma- for the main bedroom and for the fire. The steel is so hot right now. <laughs> well, it doesn't feel trend based though interestingly. It's, yeah. it's one of those houses that feels like it's Timeless from the moment it begins.
1: It's quite grunty. It reminds me a lot of the Bosley house in the Bay of Islands that has the same party, you know, like a single, single roof stepping down. This is solid.
2: Well, and actually, just going back to below Sullivan, I mean, this is another kind of long building with a sort of a rhythmic division of um, rooms. Yeah, Matt. Yeah, don't
3: don't start me.
2: (laughs) You know, it's well one sort of cell wide, right? One room wide. So, uh, and it does it beautifully here too because it's negotiating not just the length of um, of the building, but also um, obviously that. That vertical shift as the topography falls mm-hmm. away down the house. And it's not enslaved
0: house. by that form and that it pops out on mm. the southern elevation in a few places. Yep. yep. And also, I think that it's a really beautiful um, collaboration between great architects and a great interior designer. Yeah. And the whole um, final product feels really seamless and rich and rewarding in that mm.
3: sense. Mm. Nice. It reminds me of Rich Nash's B type. House as well in that kind of uh, the planning and stepping up the hill. and the rhythm. Yeah, mm. yeah, yep. you're right. Yeah, and outdoor space is pushing into it. Episode mm. one, actually right. uh, <laughs> Yes, uh, yes. Uh, seventy six more rooms. Publicity yeah. box just failed. What, what a callback! <laughs> Are there any other ways we can be self-referential?
2: Yeah,
3: with this? we
1: don't.
2: I feel like we've got we We can moves.
1: talk about our theme music <laughs> yeah. by the cosmic wheels. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Um One of the other real highlights. Um, this year, a bit more macro <clears throat> is certainly from our experience on larger projects is finally seeing finally seeing mass timber construction converge on traditional construction mm. in terms of viability and, you know, to the mm. point where it's almost straining the supply market. It's a great um, acceleration. It's a great kickoff. The, mm. the karakia and, and, you know, site blessing for a project I've been involved in in Tauranga, an eight-storey mass timber building happened this morning. You know, these are... Um, these are really big shifts and like like a lot of these things this um, this tipping point where it really kicks off, mm-hmm. like we saw with, well, like we've seen with electric cars in the last like eighteen months, mm-hmm. I really can feel us starting to get behind that in terms of mass timber and, and the potential for negative embodied energy. Uh, all of those good things that that mm-hmm. like, so many people have worked on for so long. You know, Homeground was years ahead in actually making that viable and mm-hmm. making it work. And you know, not to mention that you know you've got an entire industry adapting technically to yeah. the different challenges of, of that construction. There's substantially different treatments around fire, particularly around fire, mm. yep. um, all of those things. Um, it's quite an exciting time when we've been building relatively similarly for the best part of 40 years. Um, you, know, you can go all the way back to the BNZ, BNZ tower in Wellington being why we don't, didn't use steel for so long and did so much concrete. That's a whole other story if you want to look, look that up, the Boilermaker strike. Future episode. <clears throat> boilermaker's strike on the on the building that F called the devil's pencil case in Wellington um but you know that's really exciting and that's mm. that's industry-wide and and it's it's long been part of smaller pieces of construction mm. with clt on smaller elements but moving into mass timber at, at scale we're, we're behind other parts of the world but I feel a real acceleration which is exciting I
3: involved in a, a townhouse project this year where it had been honed and tuned and used um, quite a lot of, of of previous market experience to, to get to an economic structural solution. Um, and at a late stage, a, essentially a mass home builder was brought on board who looked at it and said, well, why would you do it like that? Use CLT panels? Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's becoming much more mainstream than uh, CLT floors. They were using mm, uh, panels mm. in the flooring system. Um yeah, much more mainstream than you might, um, than we'd actually imagined. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think, and go back to home ground, that opened and uh, some doors to CLT construction that yeah. kind of proved the case. Um, and it discovered some problems, which has since been solved, and um, yeah, in terms of how it's treated and how it's constructed. And yeah, it's, uh, it is becoming more and more real.
2: I think, you know, moves like that can be quite catalytic in terms of then other parts of the wider building um, construction issue. I mean, I think we're sort of, you know, you're quite right in terms of your observations about CLT, but also it sort of seems to be happening at a point where some of the um, other environmental um, uh, aspects of building are now becoming affordable and people are seeing the real need to do them and, and so I th- I almost wonder if all of those things might start to happen together Um, and, and one thing you know if you're looking at one innovative method then it's actually mm-hmm. not such a large leap to mm-hmm. say well what else can we do here that's different and how can we think about our buildings differently to me that's incredibly exciting we're starting to see that you know even at the residential scale there are more yep. people asking about um, alternative ways of doing things, thinking more consciously about the usage, their requirements for space, their you know ability to put um, sustainable measures into their buildings. I mean, that's
1: are we holding out for the upgrade to the building code for <laughs> the uh, legislation fans amongst us? <laughs> are there any? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Are you mm. a legislation co- fan? I
2: feel like it is his tagline is pedant. I mean It is true. true,
0: true. <laughs> this is all true.
1: A, a, a wise friend once said that the building code defines the worst building you can legally build. Was that that? Shh <laughs> this episode. Um, and and I, I kind of like that. So mm-hmm. I am and also I'm interested in the um, it might have actually come out just today, the Commerce Commission inquiry into competitiveness. And I building materials. Anyone else one. need another panel? <laughs> <laughs> sure, we're yes. really getting getting the wind in our sails yeah. now. <laughs> I'm behind. So I think that That's will right. be. Um, I think that will be quite interesting. The findings of that.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, I have a future building as well that I think.
1: <laughs> oh great! Oh. Yes. Well, Sorry, let's do that, and then Can we'll go.
3: On, then I was just trying to
0: curtail Archer's conversation about legislation. <laughs> and then we'll go on to burning issues. Um, <laughs> But I'm going to I'm going to Sydney in late January. I'm so excited that Sana's, excuse me, Sydney Modern, the new yes. building at yes. the Art Gallery yeah. of New South Wales, has been miraculously completed through COVID. And I think for a while I was kind of, not cynical, but a bit sad about the fact that architecture's space often seemed to end up as the kind of designer of art galleries and tall office buildings and there was no other space for it. So I was kind of like, oh. Um, It shouldn't be the only place for architecture, but because I've been working so closely on questions about the future of central cities and the importance of gathering in person Mm. and all that kind of stuff, it's such a pleasure to see a large investment in a piece of central city cultural infrastructure that I don't know if they're charging admission fees or not, but that is quite accessible in terms of public transport, that from the reviews I've read, it's not striving to be an iconic building at all. In fact, it just sort of cascades down a hillside in a way that doesn't give you a single shot of it that will be, you know, magazine cover worthy mm. um, But it also, the reviews I've read suggest that experientially it's kind of like a really easygoing wander rather than a kind of tightly curated, intimidating kind mm. of space. So I'm really hopeful that it will feel like a genuinely public building. Mm but also the opportunities it offers for people in Sydney and also visitors to kind of gather in a public space and share experience is really positive in this kind of post lockdown environment. And mm. I hope that it becomes a kind of, it's an, it's an interesting counterpoint to the Sydney Opera House in a sense, which is the building that launched a million postcards and it's not terrifically functional inside. And hopefully this will be the opposite. And it turns out to be a magnetic kind of gathering mm-hmm. place that lets the art and its public purpose lead um, over the kind of need for statement architecture. Let's hear think, about it in
2: February. Yeah. Yep. Do you cool. think? Do, I mean, this sort of brings to mind another question. Do you think we're um, approaching a new age of, of humility in um, public architecture?
0: That'd be nice, right?
2: Yeah, it would be. I mean, a kind of a rejection of this architecture of, of previous. Daniel
0: Liebeskind, if you're listening. <laughs>
2: yeah. Hello. <laughs> I
0: don't
2: know, what do you think, Tash? It's an well, interesting question. I, I think it is an interesting question and I think there's a, a whole range of things to speak to the fact that maybe, possibly we are. You know, the idea that the soul auteur... Is, I, th- I think that's accepted now that that just doesn't happen right it's a architecture is a is a, a group thing and it requires many hands the idea that that actually we should be looking at diversity and inclusion and that's really important in buildings particularly ones that have a civic um, mm-hmm. function so so perhaps it is becoming more about those other things i would hope so mm. i'm
0: trying to think of other projects that i know of that are going on at the moment that embody that but my brain is failing me at this point but mm. I guess sana is a really interesting practice and in that it's always been about translucence and yeah, this kind true. of ethereal experience mm. right but obviously they were chosen for that job over
2: yeah.
0: you know it was a big competition with David Chipperfield and others yeah kind of involved
2: which is quite interesting if you think about the procurement of public architecture which for quite a long time had been about statement buildings we mm. need to put ourselves on the map so you know maybe we will start to think about our cities. are a kind of,
0: there's a sort of a corrective to the Bilbao effect in some sense. Kind senses. of, yeah. yeah. Not that I think that was a terrible building experientially but it certainly had a lot of cities playing copycat.
2: Well I think there's just a point where you can't, not every building can be an object building, right? Mm. You know we, we've got a place and there should be a place mm. for some but there's got to be some just hard working fabric in there, right? So
1: burning shows looking at me. <laughs> I was. I, I'm. I'm struggling with whether or not to go on the wait list for Golden Plains Festival where Carly Rae Jepsen is playing. That's a tough. The new good. For me. The, yes, I'm a you fan. Know, is Renaissance better than Lemonade? I mean, these yes. are the things. These are the things we've been struggling with on the pod. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So is that your burning issue? Is Charlie Ray your burning issue or is Renaissance versus Lemonade your burning issue? Look, at this stage of the year, I'm nearly (laughs) completely overloaded.
1: I was thinking about this because in true fashion, Jeremy gave us this homework some weeks ago to prompt out our rap episode and you I, forgot about it I, have, no, I, did, I did I did I did that's true he was like per my whatsapp um <laughs> I but I don't know about a burning issue I know I know about the buildings and experiences I like the experience with burning issues I don't know I, I um I think like I said before like we Matt and I both practice at a certain kind of end of scale, and, and, and are exposed to you know issues that that are to do with with um, large scale procurement and consenting and all of these funny things. They are burning issues. They're tough. You know, our whole industry, its capacity, its level of quality, its ability to manage the design processes smoothly. Um, massive amounts of escalation that are occurring at the moment. You know, these are bur- these are day to day burning issues. Um, but you know, this is we've talked about. Do you mean your, cost
0: escalation?
1: Cost escalation. You know, you, you you look away from your drawings for a moment, and the whole building's gone up by six percent. You know, it's no, it's, it's real true. madness, it, it's and I'm sure true. it happens at all ends yeah. of the industry. Um, but you know, this is we've talked about having Sharma on, perhaps, and you know, it'd be interesting to get a perspective there about those real forces that are doing it. We're at the we're at the bottom end of the trickle in some ways and can't do too much to influence it. But it is a serious challenge for the ability of us yeah. to deliver the kinds of civil, civic improvements you're talking mm. about, the kinds of you know housing supply issues that everyone is concerned about. All of these would be sold faster if they could be simply done faster. Things take a very long time and we pay a significant premium to deliver the buildings that we do.
2: And I, I don't see that Decreasing faster. At because at there are all these sort of compounding things. And I do not want to make this a chat on our final episode of the year about building right. regulations. But um but like that, that's only getting more more complex, right? And so I was actually thinking about this. On the homework front, about burning issues, and I think particularly next year, we a lot of us are probably gearing up for almost maybe recessionary times. Certainly, building and um, cost ex- escalation has just kind of gone through the roof. How do you maintain these um, these kind of big civic moves that need to happen, and 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 not drop the ball? Because we all know the way the graphs look. This will be with us. For a time, but mm. in the grand scheme of city making, the buildings will be here. The Forever. infrastructure will be here, be here for much, much longer. So we can't afford to to dial it back too much. What's the resilience plan over those mm. the, that that sort of period?
1: Sell the golf courses.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, you know, make yeah. them parks. <laughs> <laughs>
2: with medium density housing.
0: <laughs>
1: Yeah. Wow. Well, so um, yeah, that's not
3: really a burning issue, but that's
0: sort of well, mine was kind I, of related,
1: actually.
3: Go on. The- no, I, I kind of think it is. I, I do wonder. You know, if you think about housing supply or how you know, number of consented buildings outstripping yeah. the number of homes that we can build um, in a time when interest rates are going up, at the same time as construction costs going up, and we're you know the if we fast forward. Three years to episode seventy-five. Um, the you kind of go. What what the next year I think will be quite formative in in how our cities continue to grow and develop because whatever shockwaves occur next year will probably be felt for some time. Mm. So um, and what I worry about is that we will spend our energy and money in um, in ever increasing. Constraints around construction and how things are built, and people who have to have a say in how those you know, the, things—the forgive me, façade engineers and um, and others—but they're kind of the increasing, um, uh, I guess, yeah, those constraints that just make it more and more difficult to navigate in a time when money will be short. Um, and it's kind of, you know, they're kind of fighting against each other. Some of
1: it's easy. I'm involved in a project now, <clears throat> a fairly large project, where the basically the entire team is engaged from the absolute outset. And it's fast and it's punishing. But the ability to be progressing all of the bits of design that mm, you need to
2: simultaneously. early
1: on. Mm-hmm. And this is what we always ask for when we're asked about engagement and when we're trying to do this. There's always a few consultants that, for, for whatever reason, We'll engage those later. Mm. It's, it's actually some of these things are really simple. The, the money that that will save yeah, so is uh, an order of magnitude more than the cost of engaging them from day mm. one. And it, they're I've, not they're not magic tricks. Some of this stuff is very very simple.
3: But those are those sort of clients that can do that because what you're describing is something which is risky and expensive mm. yeah, because you could get. Year down the track, and it just sort of falls over. So it's those, it's the people with a long vision um, that are kind of interesting. You know, the people who are looking beyond mm. the next year's economic cycle mm. into the ones beyond mm. that. You know, when are we we're going to be building this not in 2023 but 2026?
2: Yeah, and actually, I think when it comes to urban environments, we need to be. It needs yep. to be about the long game stuff and yep. needs to be those people who are, who are kind of yep. We're going to be living in this in 2036. Yeah, and our kids oh. will be living it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yada, yada. Yep. Mm. Anyway, let's yep. uh, yep. we're yeah, back something more positive. Yeah. <laughs> well, my,
0: mine's not super um, positive, but it's related. And then mm. I was kind of, and it's not even an architectural problem necessarily, but I've kind of been really worried regarding the, I can't remember which episode, sorry, Arch, could the 76 More Rooms publicity bopped. please get into action? <laughs> um, but I was thinking about density and the way we design our cities and the way that democracy doesn't seem to currently allow our cities to adapt to our future needs at all. So we had a housing crisis, obviously, um, but also, you know, central cities need to adapt massively. And I feel like the people that have their levers most uh, their hands most strongly on the levers of power are mostly opposed to change at a local government level and you can see that in most of the mayoral elections mm-hmm. recently um, people that would like at best incremental change or want to wind the clock back in some cases and I just kind of think that's impossible and the denialism of the way cities are changing and New Zealand is growing and all that stuff and the the um, the needs of our environment at the same time is is distressingly strong and um, for our cities to kind of overcome that seems like a massive challenge, I'm not sure how we're going to get there I hope that a generational shift will happen sooner rather than later and Um, vote things in the right direction, but the Mm -hmm. participation in local government elections does not encourage me. So I'm a bit lost on kind of how we tackle these issues around density and urbanism. And I know the government is kind of intervening because it recognises they're a problem, but those interventions welcome, but also, as we've talked about, slightly clunky. Mm -hmm. Um, And in Auckland, our own council's planning team seems to have spent all its energy on kind of trying to protect villas and none on trying to... um, Present what good urban form looks like, and so that is kind of my biggest architectural burning issue in that sense, which is about the shape our cities take and how we get good
3: ones yeah it's a, it's a time for architects to do their most valuable work, which is design leadership. yeah it's hmm. you take it back to home ground, the fact that that thing succeeded on so many fronts it took an entire team, but at the centre of it. Um you know, I'd like to think Gary and Nick and that architectural team had to um and we've talked about you know, the increasing need for architects to collaborate and, and uh and work with others and receive input and um and digest that and turn it into a building. And I can only imagine Stephen Sawson sitting at the centre of that project, receiving all those inputs, all the things that we're gonna grapple with in the next you know year or two. Um, it's a moment where those that design leadership enables those ideas to amalgamate and, and produce good outcomes
2: without design leadership.
3: You fail on some fronts, you might succeed on others, but now's the time for dead architects to do their best work. Like it possibly be helpful to have more literal illustrations of
0: where our cities could be and what they might look like, and I think that might help the conversation Touchly. and this kind of thing.
2: I mean, I mean, I've long felt that the, it is actually appalling that our city plans are words. <laughs> where yeah. are the pictures? Where, are the, where are the drawings, right? I mean, where is the vision? That is what we need, and we actually we need probably a more vocal design community to say, hey, this is what it needs to be. Yep. This is what it could be. This is what it should be. Let's engage at that level rather than, oh, I don't know, it, the height in relation to boundaries should be this. Yeah.
3: Oh, it, it needs okay, people, me. as we've done here, it needs people to be talking about 2026 and rather than the next OCR announcement. You know, it's, uh, it's that. It's, I think, we're, um, we're well positioned and we're well trained to think beyond the now and into the future. Mm. I think that's... It's gonna be important to do that over the next while. Who else has thoughts before we wrap up? Arch is browsing, so he's
1: tuned
0: out of this conversation. No, I waiting. was
1: just looking at our um as the kids say, our metrics. What this <laughs> year What was our most and popular episode? Wanna thank want to thank um, everyone who contributed to our five thousand nine hundred and eighty two listens this year oh, across okay. six episodes.
3: Thank you. It's COVID, um Cavity Coast Choir still our most...
1: They are a strong supporter. And our most popular <laughs> episode this year is our talk with Julie Stout, episode 37. That's
0: a big spike. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yep. Oh, is that her episode that's spiked that's when that's it was her, released? Yeah. Jeremy's looking at the
1: graphs, thrusting just, up to the right. I just pulled uh, up the data. About, yep. Uh, uh, None of it. We won't, we won't we bore look you look. with the 76 more rooms AGM <laughs> <laughs> talk strategy. But... Um, We've had a ball this year. We got to talk to some fantastic guests at the Mini in situ. We did. NZIA, mm-hmm. thank you for allowing us to, to meet those. We've met some wonderful people, had some, um, yeah, wonderful chats. we pushed through 30,000 total listens. Um, so thank you for that. That's great. It's thanks, Mum. Thanks, Dad. Yeah, thanks, Kapiti Coast Gospel Choir. <laughs> uh, big shout out to them. Um, and yeah, look, um, personally, It's been really nice to have a year that was not good simply because of an absence of disasters, but because of the presence of some real
0: positives. We're all stunned and silence by your (laughs) (laughs) lyricism. Well, yeah. Thanks,
2: Hutch. I am... I'm just pleased we get to have these conversations and that people want to listen to them. So Well, I
1: think the, I think our listeners will be the judge of
2: that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's where we should start does off. it show
1: which point they tune <laughs> out at. <laughs> I can't tell if people listen to the end or not. I think, that would break, I think that would break my heart if I found that out.
2: If you're still here, thank you so much. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. But, uh, thank you very much.
1: Meri <laughs> kerimite. Yeah, meri Thank you, everyone. That's yeah. 2022. Here's to 2022 with new favourite buildings, new burning issues, some positivity. Yeah,
0: let us know on our socials if there is stuff you'd like us to talk about as well because that would be helpful.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: See you on Mustardom. Cheers. (laughs) Cheers,
1: everybody.
3: Cheers.